0: Welcome to Native America Calling, I'm Sean Spruce. Research by the National Alliance to End Homelessness consistently finds native people make up a larger share of the homeless population than most every other group. Some cities are working to improve those numbers. In Denver, local nonprofits are set to build the city's first affordable housing complex complete with a health center and a design that respects culture. Seattle and Portland also have new native-centered affordable complexes. We'll hear more about native specific affordable housing solutions right after the
1: news.
2: This is national native news. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. Schools are coming to an end across the U.S., and graduating native high school students who want to wear regalia at their ceremonies in many cases are not allowed to. In California, a law protects the right to wear tribal regalia at graduation. Christina Honested reports.
3: California's first Native American lawmaker, Democrat James Ramos, is reminding the near 1,000 school districts and 9,000 schools across the state to respect Native students' rights to wear tribal regalia at their graduation ceremonies.
0: We urge local school administrators to know the law and respect the rights of our Native American students and to celebrate with them and to honor them in allowing them to move forward with their constitutional right to wear tribal regalia.
3: His statement comes after former chair of the Concow Valley Band of Maidu Indians, Jessica Lopez, said she had to argue with school district officials about her son's right to wear regalia at his graduation. California lawmakers passed legislation in 2018 allowing tribal regalia in most cases at graduation ceremonies. In 2021, they passed another bill to establish a task force educating school districts about the legislation giving students that right, but some districts still are unaware. For National Native News, I'm Christina Onestead in California.
2: A Cochiti Pueblo artist opened a new exhibit in Colorado called Virgil Ortiz Revolt 1680-2180, Runners and Gliders. It looks at the Pueblo Revolt of 1680 in a futuristic light. Emma 90 of the Mountain West News Bureau shows how it's making an impact on visitors. The exhibit opened to the public this month. Jeremy Morton with History Colorado says... This
4: is unlike anything the museum's done before, pushing the boundaries of how history can be taught.
5: Someone who's maybe not a history person, maybe not a history buff, is able to look at this exhibit and create this association of, wow, I I didn't realize history could be told in this cool way.
4: It's left an impact on some visitors like Eder Toon, a college history professor in Denver. He is Yucatec Maya, and he says he struggles to remind himself that his people are still here.
0: I think this exhibition brings this idea that we are not just here, but also we are more than, we are part of the future as well.
4: Kat Lovato, who's part Hickory Apache, also came to see the exhibit. She came dressed to the event in traditional clothing. Everything that Virgil does is, it, ha, that has an emphasis on the indigenous population and the wars and everything, it's, it matters to us. She hopes exhibits like these educate people about indigenous history. People like Emmeline Shirotis her eight-year-old granddaughter.
0: I love learning about our family's history and people need to know. Virgil
4: Ortiz, the lead artist on the exhibit, agrees.
0: Every time the people talk about Indigenous people, it's like in the past, right? So I just want them to acknowledge and know that we're still here living, thriving, creating.
4: He hopes that other Indigenous communities can join him in his mission to highlight their prevalence in Colorado and throughout the region.
1: I really want them to come speak up and tell their history, all of their ancestors, and be acknowledged of that we're all still here together.
4: Virgil Ortiz Revolt, 1680-2180 Runners and Gliders, will be on display at History Colorado until the end of next May. For National
2: Native News, I'm Emma Vanden 90. Suzanne Schoen-Harjo was one of five people to receive an honorary degree from Princeton University Tuesday during its 2023 commencement ceremony. The advocate, poet, and president of the Morningstar Institute was honored for her lifelong work advocating for Native rights. I'm Antonia Gonzalez.
1: National Native News is produced by Kiwanek Broadcast Corporation, with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Support by AARP. AARP creates and connects people to unique tools and programs, helps conserve personal resources, and tackles issues that matter most to individuals, families, and communities. More at AARP.org. Support by the National Indian Education Association's 54th Convention and Trade Show held in Albuquerque starting October 18th. Education Sovereignty. It begins with us. Early bird registration ends July 18th at NIEA.org. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.
0: This is Native America Calling. The most recent numbers from HUD show overall homeless numbers increased slightly in the last couple of years, but the rate was much smaller than the roughly three years prior. The federal agency cites increased resources to build affordable homes and providing health services and other programs for populations most at risk. Cities like Minneapolis, Denver, and Seattle are among those that are building complexes with housing and programs specifically for Native people, who statistically experience homelessness at a higher percentage than other populations. In this hour, we'll take a look at some new affordable housing projects designed for homeless Native people in large urban areas. Please join our conversation. Is there a need for culturally specific affordable housing where you live? Let us know at 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99NATIVE. We have three guests on the show today. Our first guest is speaking With us from Portland, Oregon, Paul Lumley. He's the CEO of the Native American Youth and Family Center. He's Yakima. Paul, thanks for joining us. Thank you, it's good to be here. Speaking with us from Denver, Colorado is Carla Respects Nothing. She's a Native American housing advocate for the Native American Housing Circle. She's Oglala Sioux. Carla, welcome to the show.
6: Hi, thanks for having us, I appreciate it.
0: Absolutely, Carla. And in Seattle, Washington, we're joined by Lindsay Goes Behind. She's the Chief Program Officer for the Chief Seattle Club and is a member of the Alabama Cushata Tribe of Texas. Lindsay, great to have you on Native America Calling.
7: Thanks for having me.
0: Paul, I'd like to begin with you today. How long has Naya been working to address homelessness in Portland? I was there just a couple of weeks ago, and I know the problem is, is getting pretty dire there.
5: Yeah, well, we've been involved in affordable housing development for about 15 years now. And uh, we started getting into uh, the focus of getting homeless people into our affordable housing projects, oh, probably about five years ago.
0: Five years. So, and in that time, how significant is the problem? Has it grown a lot? And, and what are some efforts that you folks are, are making in that regard?
5: Well, in the Portland uh, region, there's a major housing crisis. Uh, at this time, and has resulted in a large increase in the homeless population over the last, oh, probably four years. And the native population is overrepresented uh, by way over any other ethnic group. Uh, and we we have um, about twelve percent of the population that are homeless that are Native American, and of that, more than fifty percent have been chronically homeless meaning they've been living in the streets for over a year. So it's been bad, and it doesn't seem to be getting any better, um, which is why the most recent three affordable housing developments we've created in the last three years have come in at a really great time.
0: Well, tell us more about these projects that that you folks are working on there at at NAYA. I understand they're near the the center there that you work at.
5: Yeah, we're located in a neighborhood called Cully, and it's um, sort of centrally located, although not near downtown. Uh, and one of the things that we noticed was the uh, Native populations were moving further away from the downtown corridor, uh, way out into the suburbs. And so the board of directors asked me to uh, work on a strategy to build out our affordable housing projects near our 10-acre campus and uh, bring the Native community closer to us so they can enjoy our uh, broad range of wraparound services. We also have a Native American high school on campus. Uh, so in 2020, we opened up Saika Ilhi, which is a 59-unit apartment building uh, focusing on affordable housing for people who are struggling with drug and alcohol addiction or those who need mental health supports. And the second one opened up uh, a couple years later. uh, It's called Mamuk Tokati, and that means making beautiful, and that's a focus on uh, artists. Uh, Both of those properties have a very unique partnership with the Select tribe where they some of their federal funding, the Housing block grant, for um, uh, investing in the property. And in exchange, they were able to extend the, um, the waiver to the Fair Housing Act for native preference. And so about a third of each of those uh, apartment buildings um, are now set aside for native preference with the Celeste Tribe getting first preference, and that lasts for 25 years. So it was a uh, small investment for them, but a large impact not only to their tribal membership, but also to the Native community because we we're able to market both properties and have a very high rate of Native residents in both of them, over 90%. Um, and the third property is called High Utilixum. So, uh, that one is, I um, mean, means, uh, it means uh, many nations, and that's a focus on permanent supportive housing, which is getting Natives off the streets and into housing. That one opened in December of last year Together, it's 165 units, uh, all in the Koli area, pretty close to our campus, so we're very happy with
0: that. Well, this all sounds really promising. Three separate complexes, apartments, 165 units. And what's been the response so far, Paul? Do, do Portland's Native residents appreciate these affordable housing options that you folks have facilitated?
5: I think so. Uh, one of the things that we uh, really made a big focus on was making sure these, these buildings look and feel Native American but you'll find art on the outside and throughout the whole building. And we really wanted these families and individuals who are coming off the streets to feel like this was a place they could call home, that it looked and felt Native American and that they were loved and that they were special. And that when they walked in, they had a beautiful environment uh, to be proud of. And also we wanted to uh, really give a gift to the community of these beautiful buildings and also to the city. We want the city to be proud of us as well. Um, you know, just about every day when I drive throughout the neighborhood, I see Native Americans up and down the street. I, I think it's fantastic to see the community coming so close to our campus. And uh, it was about maybe a month ago, I met a gentleman here uh, in our building who was uh, first time to NEA and uh, was enjoying some of our free meal. And I started to talk to him. He said he'd never been here before, but he just moved into high-utilism. And after giving him a tour, he revealed that he was living in a car with his daughter and uh, had been doing that for several months and that we had essentially rescued him and she got her into school and he has found work. And um, when he was telling me his story, he just broke down and cried on my shoulder. And, you know, that's why we do this. We save people's lives and... And that was something that really struck me and has stuck with me ever since that, you know, that's why we're here. As hard as this work is and as difficult as it is, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to save people's lives. We're trying to get these natives off the streets into affordable housing.
0: And these 165 units, are, are you satisfied with that number now? Are you looking to, to develop more units and provide more options for people going forward?
5: Yeah, uh, well, we're going to continue to do this work. Um, We have, I think, uh, eight properties right now, about 250 units total. Not a lot, but a significant amount for us. Um, One of the properties we own is currently being redeveloped at this time. It's actually the first property we got um, 15 years ago, and uh, it was pretty old then. And we're redeveloping it, which means we're tearing it down and rebuilding it. There were 34 units there, and it'll be rebuilt to uh, about 55 units. New, new apartments, so we're very excited about that. Um, that one is interesting for a couple of reasons. One of them is that uh, we're doing this as our own developers. So we no longer have another uh, developing partner. We're doing this ourselves. Uh, and that makes us a rather unique entity, certainly in the Portland area, to be a Native American nonprofit affordable housing developer. But there may not be that many in the nation that are doing this work Uh, So that's pretty cool. And then also the way we approached the 34 units that were there uh, was we went way beyond what they were, um, that we were supposed to do by law. We reached out to each of the families a year and a half in advance to get them ready for the transition. We um, gave them uh, more resources for moving and also for covering their extra rent wherever they go for the period of time that they might want to come back or they could take just to buy out. Uh, most of them, have said, they want to come back. Uh, three families have gone through our home ownership program and are buying their first home, which is pretty exciting. And um, uh, most of the residents entered into a, uh, a program called our individual development account, which is a match, sharing, a match savings program for buying a home or going to school or opening your own business and um, t- with those savings that they've been able to, to accumulate, they're going to be matched by $198,000. So that's pretty exciting uh, that we're uh, able to help them the way that we have. It was a rough transition moving everybody else, everybody out, but it um, turned out better than we ever expected. I think it's because we are a nonprofit. We are here to serve the community. We're not a for-profit developer. We care about who we're serving and with we the extra mile.
0: Well, it sounds like a lot of this went on during the pandemic as well. Did that create challenges?
5: Oh yeah, lots of challenges. <laughs> <laughs> uh well just signing documents. I mean that was hard, but uh especially in in the beginning when it was so hard to switch over to video format for meetings and electronic signature. And in any of these affordable housing developers developments, excuse me, you'll you'll find that a lot of documents have to be signed with ink. There then they don't accept um Electronic signatures and a lot of them are notarized documents. And so there were a couple of times we were doing a closing in a parking lot of the building. In fact, that was at Memo Tokati. I was in the parking lot signing documents and we we're passing documents back and forth between our vehicles at uh, the time when it was pretty scary with the pandemic and masks mm. were not that available. So, yeah, we had to uh, really struggle and stress through that process. There's no question about it. Okay. I'd also say that. The uh, lease-up process in the middle was was very difficult because we didn't we're not able to reach the uh, individual tenants uh, like we had hoped.
0: We've got Paul Lumley on the line. He's up in Portland, Oregon, CEO of the Native American Youth and Family Center, and he's given us an update on some really innovative affordable housing solutions that serve Portland's Native community. And we've got two other guests on the show as well who are going to talk about what's happening in Denver, Colorado, and also up in Seattle, Washington. So anybody with a question, anybody who has an interest in affordable housing, uh, give us a call. We've got open phone lines, 1-800-996-2848. That number, 1-800-996-2848. Let us know what you're thinking. Let us know what you're feeling. If you've got a question, we would love to have that question answered for you today on Native America Calling. Authorities in Arizona are still sorting out the implications of a massive fraud that targeted Native residents. State officials have shut down dozens of fake treatment centers, and tribes are coping with the fallout. We'll get an update on the next Native America Calling.
1: Homey, you, Piki.
0: आयते
1: कि oapl,
5: medicare
0: You're listening to native America calling. I'm Sean Spruce. We're focusing on affordable housing today. How important are housing programs to your urban native community? Give us a call. Join our conversation. 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. We're talking housing today, urban natives. If you're on the listening to the show today, we'd sure like to hear from you. Let us know your perspective, your thoughts on what it's like living in the city and, uh, having to pay for rent, having to cover housing, whatever those costs might be. Let us know what some of those issues you face are. We've got Paul Lumley on the line. He's up in Portland. And, Paul, before break, you were sharing these really exciting programs that uh, NEA has instituted, uh, affordable housing developments, as well as support services like individual development accounts, down payment assistance. And I want to ask you also, Paul, because you made it a point to mention how important it was to have Native American Uh, perspectives included in the whole design process and were you folks able to work with Native American architects and other engineers in the construction of these units? Looks like we don't have Paul, maybe he put us on mute just for a second. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and go to Carla now. Carla, how are you doing?
6: Hi, I'm great, thanks.
0: Good, good, I'm glad to hear it. Carla, I want to ask you because I know you are up in Denver, Colorado. How big is the need for affordable housing for Denver's Native American population right now?
6: Um, the need is really, you know, it's it it it's been years. There's never really been any type of um, Native supportive housing here um, in the front range. Um, so um, having, being able to create this, um, this collaboration with other housing organizations right now is is really you know so helpful and you know grateful for everyone doing the work to help help our native people here in the denver community um they tried the denver indian center tried to um put up supportive housing years ago but it never really panned out
0: mm-hmm. interesting and Carla, tell us a little bit about your own situation. How much firsthand experience do you have with some of these issues living there in Denver?
6: Um, I've been in Denver for about, let's say, around 30 years. Um, I moved here directly from my reservation. And so, um, you know, everything has, you know, since um, pretty much around the um, Black Lives Matter movement. Um, Here in Denver, in the surrounding area, um, our Native voices have really been lifted up because of, you know, uh, the ground that had been, the city had been created on, you know, um, from the Sand Creek massacres. So, you know, they really um, looked at our perspective of the Native people here and Indigenous people here in Colorado and Denver area. So, we, they really looked at our lived experience. And so, you know, they really uplifted. They came out with the peer, peer supportive service um, employment model. So, you know, when um, this was created, I've lived that life of um, alcoholism, homelessness, uh, my family had lived it with me and and a lot of Natives and so from that they created spaces for us in non-Native organizations like the Colorado Coalition for the Homeless created our Native Talking Circles and a Native support Native American Supportive Service programs. And um, the, the it's called the Gathering Place. It's a Women's Day Shelter for Homeless Individuals and transgender individuals, as well as families. So years ago, we created a women's talking circle from there for our women, on this, you know, unhoused or housed, to be um, have their own space um, to meet up. So, you know, it, it's 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 been a long process, and you know, they some organizations understand that our relatives need a space. call their own throughout the community so they they create helped us create programs for that
0: well tell us a little bit more carla because i understand that you folks are proposing some new developments there you have some new ideas some new initiatives uh to address this homelessness issue as well as other needs that denver's urban native population has with regard to housing
6: Yeah, definitely. Um, So we created, um, I'm one of the co-founders amongst a lot of um, awesome other relatives here in Denver that created the Native American housing circle. First, it was just a a committee and a a group that started out at the Denver Indian Center, and it was a collaboration with all our Native American um, organizations and Indigenous organizations, anyone that was willing to participate and help us. In, in this spark of hope of housing for our people in the area. So um, it started with um, Colleen Echohawk and her organization in G Seattle Club coming to visit us and, and doing a presentation on how they're creating their programs up there in Seattle. So that led a spark, and it just continued from there, and they got, gave us guidance on how. To to how they created their own programs, and then it came to a point where we we did tours over there. We all um, made a trip to Seattle and and you know got ideas on how their programs run with with you know advocacy and even changing policies in in the legislative system. So um, you know we all started that program and continued on um, Denver Indian Family Resource Center. Was a sponsorship for the, our housing program and then about 5, 5 months ago, we it became a nonprofit and now we have a new executive director and his name is Bill Ziegler from Minnesota. And so he's coming down and now we're moving for, forward with creating um, our housing space and in collaboration with that um you know denver indian indian health and family services are a part of that that movement and her uh executive director is her name is um adrian maddox she's been a part of that whole 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 co-founder everything and her team at the um indian mm-hmm. Health. so you know they were approached they're inside a non-native or um housing program called Mercy Housing and so for years and I guess they're overgrowing their space um, the Indian house so they were approached by Mercy Housing and um, Denver Housing Authority had property and they wanted to do other things with all their properties given other um, organizations a chance to make bids on on some of that property to utilize that space. And so Mercy Housing, um, Shelly Marquez, she's the president of the Mountain Plains area and Adrian Maddox, um, I guess they collaborated to, and talked about doing a project together with with our community. And so our Native American Housing Circle had been a um has to be a part of that as well in representation. So um, they won the bid. They won the bid to create this um, 901 Navajo Street affordable supportive housing and health clinic uh, space. So um, yeah, and it's it, it's so helpful because we were trying to figure out how we can help our people now. You know, help mm-hmm. our people on the streets that are are you know out there suffering and where they have no place to go. Um, So, through inspiration from Seattle Club, Chief Seattle Club, um, we, they told us, you know, be be at the doors of non-native organizations, be at that table to speak about housing, be on the board of directors of the continuum of care of HUD housing organizations. So, you know, I was grateful to be able to have that, um, you know, because you know we all carry the way of of having to be that voice at the in the room or you know uh in or in the community to help our people at a grassroots level so you know I joined our continuum of care and I became the vice president
0: okay and so and Carla, oh, this sounds really really exciting. I just want to go back to to the housing there and so about how many units are you folks looking to build and, and who will be eligible. Tell us a little bit more about what the what is going to look like when this project is is actually completed.
6: Yeah, so the the site is over um, over downtown Denver. Um, it's going to become 187 total housing units, um, 94 supportive housing units at 30 percent. Um, Uh, 30% area medium income and then 93 affordable housing units for 40 to 60% AMI, focusing on the Native American housing households. Um, The health clinic is going to be 19,000 square footage um, on the 1st floor and that's going to be fully operated by the Denver Indian Health and Family Services. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, right now we're doing, we went through like four or five focus groups to incorporate um, our unhoused relatives, um, the local community around the area where it's going to be built. Um, it's going to be full up to a four bedroom units,
1: okay. From
6: studios to four bedroom units. And then also um, they're going to offer all kinds of um um, healthcare options to health and wellness, financial stability, housing stability, all kinds of supportive services. And,
0: um, so. Carla, uh, I'm interested, I'm interested in learning more about these focus groups And, and what did you learn from, from the native community there in Denver? What, what do they want from this development specifically?
6: From the development, um, from the beginning, uh, Mercy Housing gave us um, full 100% um, input on how the the building was going to be built. How, how um, you know, they even you know said, well, how is it gonna? We know that you know you guys faced east. You know, they really did their research on Native American cultures and traditions, and you know they wanted to be. Um, 100 100 percent inclusive and so from the beginning they told us we're going to just be the input the the, how the bedrooms are going to be built with 100 percent um native american designed indigenous designed so they're giving us um through these focus groups, focus groups they're letting us know letting the community know that you know we have um 100 percent design whatever we want to design these buildings and okay. um apartment buildings so you know it's up to us and, and to incorporate the community which is great because you know we need more unity in 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 our denver and front range area to
0: yeah help. for sure and, and i also want to ask you carla because oftentimes when when affordable housing units come in, uh, existing residents, they're hesitant, they're leery, you know, there's stereotypes and stigmas uh, attached sometimes to affordable housing. So have, have you experienced any pushback from the Denver, uh, other parts of the Denver community with regard to these initiatives?
6: Oh, yes, definitely did. Um, you know, they, they have that um, the, the NIMBYism of of their surrounding areas because um, Denver really has a lot of homelessness here and they even have a camping ban here in the Denver city and county from the mayor's office so you know that's really harmful and in in how we address our our unhoused relatives out there and so you know people are really judgmental towards um, you know the any, any minority or diversity. So, um, you know, sometimes we have to tell them, you know, they don't know that we're still in existence, you know. So, when this project came up, um, you know, at the focus groups, we had to tell them, you know, they were surprised to know that a lot of us had relatives that lived in the area 20, 30 years ago, and we knew the history of that area. So, You know, after we told them, you know, we know the, we know the area we've lived here, our relatives lived here prior. So, you know, they really got on board and they're surprised that, you know, the stereotypes I'm sure that they have against our people is, you know, they really like want to be a part of it. They want to join and they're happy to, you know, in one of the groups, they were happy to give us input on how to create um, safe roads you know, mm-hmm. safer roads, safer sidewalks around the area. So it's really, really, really nice to hear that because, you know, for us, we don't, you know, we don't live in the area and it's surrounded by a lot of old, old um, homes that that area where we're at, it's, it hasn't been gentrified, um, like 100% gentrification because in downtown Denver area, it, it gentrification just...
0: Overran the whole area. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been there before. I've seen that firsthand. Carla, thank you for these insights. I want to pivot back to Paul now. And Paul, I want to ask you the same question I asked Carla earlier. There in Portland at NEA, have you folks experienced any pushback for some of these new developments that you've put on the ground there?
5: Not really. Um, we had a one of the properties had a really large old fir tree. And um, that was the only complaint we really heard. They just wanted to make sure that when the tree came down that it was put to good use, which we did, and the building actually made furniture out of it. Uh, One of our properties had a neighbor that blocked their sunlight. And so we heard some complaints there, but it turned out that we had some really common friends. Uh, For example, we both knew and loved Billy Frank Jr. So uh, Mm -hmm. things got smooth over there. Um, But no, I think uh, people saw what we were building in the neighborhood and saw that these were not just big monoliths, but these were gifts to the community, and, and we were actually welcomed.
0: Now, you mentioned earlier, Paul, that the, the Celeste Tribe has helped uh, NAO with this project. What about the City of Portland? Have they been involved as well?
5: Yeah, uh, we've had a broad range of funders. Some of the um, there's a Portland Housing Bond that passed by the voters, and so we received some of their funding for some of these properties. Um, of course, we have to go through their uh, permitting process and the elected leaders at the city of Portland have just been fantastic to work with just as well. The uh, leadership of Multnomah County and and the whole state of Oregon, which offered a, a vast range of funding between the three of them. So I think that government um, partnership was key to this and they all stepped up and I felt pretty good about it. actually.
0: We've got affordable housing advocates on the show today and they're uh, giving us an update there from parts of, Native communities, uh, urban Native communities, Denver, Portland. And uh, next, we're going to talk with Lindsay Goesbehind, who's up in Seattle, Washington, who will give us uh, an overview of a really, really exciting development there. So please stay with us. We're going to have to take a short break. But uh, our phone lines are open. If anybody has a question, if you have any insights at all with regard to affordable housing and what the needs are for urban Native people, give us a call. That number, one 800 996 2848 one eight hundred nine nine That'll work as well. Or maybe you want to post, uh, post on our social media. We've got Facebook. We've got Instagram. Feel free to do that as well. So we'll
1: be back right after this break. This Father's Day, you can give your dad a truly unique gift from SweetGrassTradingCo.com, a Ho-Chunk, Inc. company where you can choose from a variety of food, beauty, and wellness items from tribes across Turtle Island. Ho-Chunk, Inc. supports this show. Support for journalism that raises the awareness of child well-being to citizens and to policymakers provided by the Annie E. Casey Foundation, building a brighter future for children, families, and communities. Information at AECF.org.
0: This is Native America Calling. We're taking a look at affordable Native housing in a couple of different urban areas. Still time to join our discussion about less expensive housing subsidized by local and federal funds. Is this a need in your Native community? We're at 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. Let's head up to Seattle, Washington now where we're joined by Lindsay Goes Behind. Again, she's a program officer for the Chief Seattle Club and Lindsay, uh, listening to Carla earlier, it sounds like Chief Seattle Club has been working with housing issues uh, in Seattle's urban community for a long time now.
7: Yeah, yeah. We um, Chief Seattle Club was founded 53 years ago, as a matter of fact, and for much of that time, we um, were solely a day shelter for our urban Native relatives um, here in the Seattle area, in the downtown area. Um, And you know, over time, we realized that just was not enough. Um, Our people were not rising in the priority pools to get into housing. Um, There were no culturally specific services available for unhoused Native people. And, um, you know, I think Carla spoke really, really well. And, and it was beautiful to hear, you know, just sort of the inspiration they received from uh, our previous executive director, Colleen Echohawk, who really, you know, drove forward the capital campaign and the, just the mission to start to build housing and build shelter for our people.
0: Well, it's really exciting, Lindsay. And last year, Chief Seattle Club opened the Al Housing Complex. It's located in Pioneer Square. Why that location?
7: So our, our day shelter has been located here in Pioneer Square, like I said, uh, since 1970. And uh, so what, what the desire was to really see a Chief Seattle Club block. Um, and that's what we've almost achieved. We almost have every building now. Um, either within our ownership or, or we're participating in some way of the running of it, um, of this, this block in Pioneer Square. Um, right next door to our day center, uh, we've got our Seattle Inn and Health Board, Chief Seattle Club Clinic. We have our All All Cafe, which serves uh, Native foods. And then we have our All All Housing building. And around the corner, we have a new housing project we just opened in January called Salmonberry Lofts as well.
0: And LL housing, is it all full now?
7: It is. Yep. Yep. It is fully leased up. Um, and it's about 95% native. So a huge win for our community.
0: 95% native. And who exactly is eligible to live there?
7: So um, all, all is kind of an interesting mix uh, because it was our first project. It was a low income tax credit project. So, there are a lot of requirements that go along with that. It's a mix of 30% adjusted median income and 50% adjusted median income units. Um, we, have some, we have some units specifically for our veterans um, and for folks that have been diagnosed with um, a variety of different types of uh, medical conditions, disabilities, and that. Um, it's 80 units altogether. Uh, single uh, and couples um, are allowed as well. So we have about, um, in those 80 units, about 90 residents.
0: Now, Lindsay, like Portland, like a lot of urban areas across the country now, Seattle's got a a homelessness crisis on its hands. And 80 units, I mean, that's obviously really promising. Congratulations. But one has to ask, I mean, is that enough to make a significant dent in that homelessness problem, that, that crisis there in Seattle right now?
7: Oh, no, not not by far, not by a long stretch. Um, and that's why we've really moved rapidly in this last year. So we opened in January our Salmonberry Lofts, permanent supportive housing, like I said, around the corner from All All and the, the day shelter that has 76 units in it. We opened our elders housing uh, Goldfinch, which is um, uh, 63 units of permanent supportive housing. We opened that in January as well. And then we'll be adding in January of 2024, another 120 units of permanent supportive housing at our sacred medicine house uh, project, which is a little further away. It's about 10 miles North um, of kind of the chief Seattle club hub in pioneer square. Um, but we're super excited to get that building open as well. And even with all of that, it's not enough, right? So we just mm-hmm. keep pushing and keep looking for opportunities and talking to our elected officials and our partners in the field uh, to see what else we can, you know, we can get get going for our community here.
0: Let's go to the phones. We have Cindy who's listening in Gallup, New Mexico, on KGLP. Hello, Cindy. Oops, I guess we lost Cindy. Apologize for that, folks. Um, well, Lindsay, this sounds sounds promising. A lot of support, obviously, for this development, a lot of enthusiasm. And then when you look at the, the homelessness issue in a larger scale, I mean, because I think so many people are thinking like, OK, housing is great, you know, programs are great. But but looking at the root cause of, of what causes homelessness and, and why there are so many people that are displaced now, what are some other solutions that you folks are looking at to address the crisis from a more systemic standpoint?
7: So you know our our whole perspective and and Chief Seattle Club's uh, mission is you know as much as we want to of course end native homelessness um, our our primary goal is to provide sacred space and uh, a new way to see ourselves as native people in this urban setting in a positive light in a as a community ourselves right. And I think that that is so much about when we go and talk to our elected officials, when we go and speak to folks at the county, city, state, you know, federal level, we talk about the need to address our historical trauma, our intergenerational trauma, the need for Native people to lead and to define what it is that will, will help us heal right? Because that healing is what's needed. We have so many of our members have come from uh, backgrounds of, you know, either themselves being in residential school or foster care as children, or their parents being in residential school or foster care, growing up feeling very unrooted as Native people. And that's part of what Chief Seattle Club um, really, you know, brings to the table. And I think the, the other piece in the housing spectrum is to say, you know, we know how to serve our people. I think Carla and Paul spoke to it very well. We know how to serve our people because we are, we are one. We are part of the people. And you need to listen to Native orgs and Native leaders who come forward and say, this is what our community needs. This is how we're going to get ourselves back on track. Here in Seattle, we have the highest rates of chronic homelessness. And that's a lot of our membership, our folks who've been outside for many, many, many years and felt very displaced and isolated. And we need to bring them back in and back into family and back into community. So that's why that whole wraparound idea, housing is just one point on the spectrum, right? Getting folks inside is just one stop along the way. There's so much more work to be done.
0: Right. Lindsay, I also want to ask you about, about the cost. I mean, listening to you today, the, the Al Al development, and then our other guests as well. I mean, what, what does it cost? How expensive is it to build up, like in this example, eighty units affordable housing, and and where all does that money come from? I, I know we heard Paul mentioned you know a tribe that helped there, Colets, but what about there with LL? Who are the the contributing partners financially?
7: Yeah, so all all the way um, that project came to be, so it's got many different funders at many different um, municipal levels, as well as you know the support of. Local tribes, you know, donating funds, individuals, um, you know. For, we had a capital campaign that raised um, many millions of dollars to get us to the finish line, to get get the project, you know, ready to to really be, you know, up and going. Um, and we've got uh, an investor that we have a good partnership with um, that, you know, came forward with uh, matching dollars to to get that building up and going. So, you know, I think it does take a lot of, it's just a lot of conversation, a lot of advocacy and a lot of what Carla said and and Paul too, you know, it's a lot of um, kind of getting in there and holding that line and saying, this is what our community needs. And we're not taking no for an answer. We're going to keep knocking on your door until you come through with those funds (laughs) to make it happen. And, and that's the example, you know, Colleen led for us and, you know, now Derek, our executive director, um, same, you know, Same thing. We just keep on going uh, until we make it happen.
0: And is the funding there for the right projects? If you present them well and you plan them out, is is it pretty easy to get the funding to make it a reality?
7: I think the climate here in Seattle, I mean, (laughs) unfortunately, right, because we do have such a crisis, um, housing is something that everyone wants to invest in uh, Mm -hmm. because everyone now is really seeing the need. This is sort of a hidden Problem to a lot of folks up until about ten years ago. Now everyone sees it everywhere you go, practically. So that has really encouraged, you know, our our city office of housing, uh, our mayor's office, our county partners, our state Department of Commerce has really come through with a lot of dollars. It just keeps increasing, which is amazing. Um, and really, you know, that's the way we've been able to move so rapidly. You know, really within a in a year span, we opened three um, three buildings, you know, to house our, our relatives, our community members. So um, that's an amazing thing. And so we're moving full speed ahead um, with that same same mission to just keep on going and, and see what's out there. Um, and we've got uh, another on deck, another 300 units of family housing is gonna come online probably in 2026. Um, so, yeah, we've got a lot of great plans for the future to just keep building.
0: It sure sounds like it. And what we've also learned today is that a lot of urban native housing programs and organizations are looking to you folks up there in Seattle at Chief Seattle Club for solutions, for ideas, for innovation. So how are you able to share all of these insights, everything you've learned with, with tribal and urban native programs across the country?
7: Well, we love visitors. Um, we've done, uh, some exchanges with Naya. Naya staff have come up here. We've gone down there to visit. We actually just had a group out from Minneapolis last week. Who's getting into housing themselves. And we're always happy to have any kind of conversation. You know, we want to see, uh, the kind of success that we've been able to have. We want to see that across Indian country. Um, I was at a, a tribal state summit last week. Um, that was addressing the opioid fentanyl crisis that we're experiencing here in Washington State in particular. And that was something that was really interesting to hear tribes kind of hear what we're working on in the urban setting and saying, that's what we need. And us saying, oh, and we need to do some of what you're doing, right? Because the funding that exists in the cities is really for mostly for single adults, not so much for families to build housing for families here in Seattle. And so we need more of that. And tribes here in Washington need more of that single adult uh, funding to do projects for their, their relatives that they're trying to, their members are trying to take care of um, who are struggling with addiction and, and uh, coming back into community in a good way. So you know I think that for us, we're just happy to talk with anyone who wants to ask the questions, who wants to hear how we did it. Um, share what we've learned, what our missteps have been, you know, and and how we're moving forward. And always in those conversations, we learn something too, right? So mm-hmm. that's the beauty of it: um, getting to getting to share and, and getting to develop our own thinking as we hear from other leaders and and other communities about what they're doing and what they're experiencing.
0: Lindsay, I'm happy that you mentioned that that you folks learn too, and I want to ask you now because. You've you've had these really successful projects, and what are you learning now from the Seattle Urban Native community? What just from you know just for example from the time that LL House was built, the, the development. What have you learned from these folks in terms of where you need to go next and how you need to approach these next three hundred units to make them as impactful as possible?
7: I think one of the biggest learnings that we have had is um, how important it is. To really design our own services, right? Every one of our of our buildings has mental health support, has SUD support, uh, sorry, substance use disorder support. um, You know, has case management available to help folks with all kinds of you know things that they're they're facing, the the wishes that they have for their lives, where they want to go. And what we're what we're seeing is you know, and and we know this is Native people, right? need to we need to come to these different issues we're struggling with from a cultural perspective from a traditional perspective um, because that you know really addressing us as whole people not just looking at the mental health not just looking at the substance use but looking at the physical health looking at the emotional health looking at the spiritual health right remembering we're spiritual people even if we felt disconnected from that that's a huge part of who we are remembering that we're attached to the land, even if we're displaced from our homelands, right? Land is important being a part of that. So that's one of the things that we try to really build in is lots of different activities, going out into nature, going out to visit our, our local nations and participate. We just did a dig with our members and, and some of our elders up in the Goldfinch building uh, last week with our, our, um, our friends to the south muckleshoot nation and you know those sort of activities those sort of ways of coming together and remembering the beauty and the and the wonderful uh things that there are about being native people and being in community together that's so key and and i think you know again it's breaking down that isolation because moving into you know a unit right where it's just you by yourself um it's great to move into housing but it's you don't have a sense of community that can still feel isolated, right? And so, really, uh, our program managers, our staff work really hard to to really address that piece and that that need that we all have as native people to, you know, have a sense of belonging and contribution to the community we live in. Um, so that's that's a huge part of it. And I think the other piece for us, because we work specifically in homelessness, is a continuum of housing options, right? We have Um, a non-congregate shelter that has 25 beds. We're opening a tiny home village here uh, this summer as well that's got another 22 beds. We're looking to do a third one by the end of the year um, so that, you know, folks can come in and start to get used to what it is to uh, participate in a community in that way, again, to take care of themselves, to take care of their space. Um, And then Move them into that housing setting so they will be successful and they'll feel energized and excited and not as overwhelmed as it can feel to move directly from the street into housing, right? So for us, we like to really see as many options for folks as possible from shelter to transitional housing to permanent housing.
0: Lindsay, thank you for joining us today. And you really underscored what all of our guests have said as well that this is not just about building housing. It's about building communities. And I really appreciate all of your insights as well as our our guests, Carla Respects Nothing and Paul Lumley for what's been a really timely conversation on affordable housing solutions for urban Native populations. Tomorrow on Native America Calling, we'll take a look at a troubling Medicaid scam in Arizona that lured a number of Native people into fake substance treatment centers.
1: Please join us. Support by Amerind, Indian Country's 100% tribally owned insurance partner. Amerind works with tribal governments and their business enterprises to provide effective commercial insurance coverage, strengthen Native American communities, protect tribal sovereignty, and help keep dollars in Indian Country. More information on property liability, workers' compensation, and commercial auto solutions at Amerind.com. That's A-M-E-R-I-N-D.com.
3: Hesalha petia, Health Checklist, Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services.